Good morning, good afternoon, good whenever, Podheads. We have a special guest with us today. It's Jonathan from what is hands down the best named Grateful Dead podcast. Broke down <laughs> podcast. Jonathan, how you doing? I'm doing great. I like the qualification. Best named. Um, yeah, there's a, you know, it's funny. There's a bunch of uh, Grateful Dead podcasts and we're all doing kind of different stuff. So yeah. it's, it's really cool that we can all just... Uh, keep keep doing cool things on our own and even come together here and there absolutely the last time you were with us was over a year ago to talk about the sunshine daydream show from Venita, oregon uh, around its 50th anniversary um and i was coming to you from alabama and now i'm coming to you from north carolina and uh a lot's changed in a year you're getting a lot closer, so you're almost here. <laughs> um, I what we usually do in our show is talk about the days between, um, from like our last episode. But Jonathan, our last episode with you was over a year ago. So rather than you recount your life for a year, I'm just gonna hit you with what was either the best or one just very high point from the year 2023. Um, so far, uh, so far, yes. Yeah, let's see. I, I well, I dropped a new album uh, early this month, actually. Oh wow! Um, and it took it took most of the year for me to like just get everything and get it done. So it was it was like recorded uh, almost completely in at the beginning of the year, but it took most of the year to get it out. What's it called, and, uh, and where can where can the masses get it? It's called So Below, and. Um, People can get it at my bandcamp, jmhart.bandcamp.com. Or if they go to my website, rojimmy.net, that'll take you everywhere, all the places where you can find me on the world wide web. Those will be in the show notes too. So you can be a one-stop shop. If you just go to the show notes in our episode, you can get right to to those websites to, to check some music out. I checked out your, I think it's the album before this and i i don't remember what it's called but i remember the album cover um slips trips and falls yes uh, the one with the white cover yeah so they're all kind of white but yeah no um yeah thank you i'm glad thank you for checking it out um yeah yeah that was a lot of fun to make too well hey that's super exciting and uh i'm gonna check that out after we finish talking about well start and finish talking about <laughs> saturday april 30th 1988 from the Frost Amphitheater in Stanford, California. What do you say, Jonathan? Shall we get on with the show? Absolutely. Nineteen eighty-eight is a year we've never talked about on this show. It's the dawning of the internet age um says the year of the first computer virus occurred in 1988 a grad student from cornell university wrote the morris internet worm virus and it was the first felony conviction under the 1986 computer fraud and abuse act as a sports fan what i know you're shaking your head yep didn't know that either till i researched it <laughs> but what i knew about 1988 coming into this was uh from baseball was the famous Kirk Gibson pinch hit home run in game one of the World Series uh, that that would help the Dodgers eventually upset the athletics. Um, and it's got that famous Vin Scully call 
in the year of the improbable or the, the year that's been so improbable, the impossible has happened. I rem- <laughs> remember seeing clips of that. Nice. Um, yeah. I was not dialed in to baseball that year, but uh, I, I kind of worn off my, my love of baseball and the Mets in general. Ah. Just kind of getting into other things by then. What were you into in 88? I was, uh, you know, I was just discovering like psychedelic rock and, you know, it was neck deep in classic rock. And so Pink Floyd, probably the first Grateful Dead that I ever heard was around this time. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just on the cusp of, I don't know, becoming somebody who I currently think was probably kind of cool. Um, <laughs> at the time I was definitely not cool, but, uh. Yeah. Well, hey, you were discovering the Grateful Dead, so I think you were a little closer than you think. Um, and we're going to talk about music from 88 in a couple minutes, so maybe that will uh, help you on a little trip down memory lane. But first, let's talk about some movies. The top three grossing movies in 1988. Number one, Rain Man, obviously. Number two, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Good movie. And number three, Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. I thought that was a really strong top three in movies. Yeah, I saw all three of them, I think. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Die Hard was number 10, which, um, you know, we are starting to move into the end of the year in the holiday season. And I am in the camp that Die Hard is a is a Christmas movie. Absolutely. We watch that every (laughs) Christmas Eve. Oh, look at that. I, I, I remember the trailer in the theaters for that movie and of course it had you know the ode to joy chorus uh and you know just was really hyping what a a big movie it was just kind of a weird trailer now but what a fun movie (laughs) the number one movie the week of april 30th the week of the show that we're going to talk about beetlejuice in the midst of its four week uh four consecutive week run as the number one movie in america um so a lot of comedies uh in the in like the top movie sphere as well. Yeah. Television. Great ones. Yeah, exactly. Television in 1988, a couple, a couple big sitcoms debuted the wonder years, Roseanne and Murphy Brown. And then I thought this was interesting. And this was a little earlier than I would have guessed. Had you asked me, this as like a trivia question. Nickelodeon debuted the first ever kids choice awards in 1988. I would have guessed early 90s, I guess. Um, yeah. But I thought that that was interesting. And yeah, then we sh- were watching Nickelodeon pretty uh, pretty early. So, yeah, we, it, was, it had been around for a few years by then. Shows that ended in 1988, Magnum P.I. Tom Selleck and his mustache wrapped up its final season in 1988. Um, okay, here we go. I promised you this a little while ago. Music. The top album for the year in 1988. Would you like to guess for these before I reveal it? I shouldn't. Like, I really shouldn't (laughs) because, you know, it's a little blurry. So go ahead. Well, I think the reason why it might be a little blurry is this is an era that has a lot of different songs peaking with not a lot of staying power. So... 1988 was the first year that had 32 different number one songs throughout the 52 weeks of the year. Wow. So 
basically it's like every other every week or every other week a new song is coming in and this is all um off the billboard top 100 uh that's where i'm getting that information the top album for the entire year was george michael's faith and faith had one week as the number one song and it was the first week of the year but the album did well enough to become the top album throughout the throughout the year the top five singles chart of 88 was George Michael's Faith at number one, Need You Tonight by NXS at number two, number three, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison, number four, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley, and number five, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. What I thought was interesting about that top five is the song with the least amount of staying power is the song that's written by a Beatle. <laughs> I mean, it is it's a weird time. It's funny, all of these songs are huge in my recollection. Um, I don't think I liked Faith as much then as I did in years to come. But uh, you know, Guns N' Roses is still one of my top 80s bands. So yeah. The number one song, the week of April 30th, the week of the show, Where Do Broken Hearts Go by Whitney Houston. Um so her second album came out in 87, but she's still riding the wave of of that album and like kind of into the middle of 88. So Where Do Broken Hearts Go was a single from that second album. And yeah, she was crushing it. Yeah. You know, that was back when you could put out an album and people were putting out, you know, hit albums that had four or five singles on them, which is uh, unless you're Taylor Swift, that's just not really happening these days, I think. Yeah, I think like now it's if you get two, that's a commercial success these days. Yep. Birthdays on April 30th. Kirsten Dunst, Gal Gadot, Anna DeArmas, the lead actress from Knives Out, and John Galecki from The Big Bang Theory. Musicians Mac DeMarco and Travis Scott and Basketball Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas all born on April 30th. The next segment of the show is typically called Sad Deaths, but for this date, this is the just fucking rot in wherever afterlife you believe in segment uh, because Adolf Hitler committed suicide in his bunker on April 30th. Right on. Now watch this. Transitioning from Hitler to the Grateful Dead, who's in the band in 88? <laughs> <laughs> Who's in the band? Billy, Mickey, Jerry, Bob, Phil, and Brent. It's the classic 80s lineup you know and love. By this point in 88, I think it is the most stable membership of the band in their tenure so far. So they are now nine and a half years into the Brent era, and they are kicking. They're back up and running after the diabetic coma, Jerry's diabetic coma too, in 88. Uh, they came out swinging in 1987 with 86 shows and they played 81 shows in 1988 so they are you know those are this is not the late 60s anymore where they're playing like 120 shows but above 80 shows for the year is a lot of shows um and so they have come out of the jerry's diabetic coma the next two years like full swinging the official release coverage from 1988 is scarce there are no Dick's picks, no Dave's picks from 1988. 
There is the 30 trips around the sun show uh, from July 3rd of this year. There is a road trips that covers March 31st and April 1st on April Fool's show. And then the download series number five is from March of 88. And that's it. So there's basically nothing in the like official release quality of from 88, which is a shame because there's some good stuff in 88 and we're going to talk about some good stuff from this April 30th show. This April 30th show isn't part of a tour. It's actually like the end of a little California tune up between the end of their spring tour, which ended on April 15th and then their summer tour, which began in mid June. So they played three shows at Irvine Meadows and then two shows at Stanford this April 30th show. And then the next night, uh, May 1st, they played it at the frost amphitheater at Stanford university in Stanford, California. Have you ever been to Stanford or been to that, that venue? Uh, I've been to Palo Alto, but uh, only passed to the campus and I've never been to frost, which, uh, it's too bad because I, I still like people love it. People even now, like who, you know, I think Phil's played there recently and people, people rave about the location still. And Bob, we're in the Wolf Bros. We're recording this the day before Halloween. So to us, just this last weekend, he finished up a run at the Frost Amphitheater. So to your point, they still enjoy playing it because they're still playing there today. Yeah. Uh, The venue holds about 8,000 people and the Grateful Dead played there 14 times all in the 1980s between 1982 and 1989. Any other familiarity you had with the Frost Amphitheater or 1988 or just like the band at this time before we dive into the music? I think that, well, I mean, obviously Palo Alto is kind of where the band came to be, right? So uh, I think that it was significant to them in, in at least into a small degree to be able to play here and have a place where they could play at Stanford or in Palo Alto area. And, uh, and it kind of shows so that like these, this show I think is an afternoon show which is kind of kind of great. And you read some of the reviews and some of the commentary people talk about, you know, taking picnics and just having a great time sitting under the trees. But uh, insofar as 88 itself, I, 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 um, I think this year is often, I don't want to say it's underrated necessarily. I think it may be correctly kind of sandwiched just as a, like a dip between 87, which as you said, they came out kind of, with some fire and then 89, which I think is really well known for quite a bit of fire. Plus then the new MIDI experimentation that really kicked in in the summer. And obviously the fall um, is renowned and rightly so. Uh, But I don't think they're playing poorly in 88. I think that they're just, um, I think they're kind of playing well. They're just not necessarily hitting on a lot of new and exciting things all the time. Um, this show, I think, though, is, is is a really great example of what's good about this year. It's just really solid playing. They're leaning into good material, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and then this show that we're talking about, April thirtieth, they do something in the encore <clears throat> in the encore that uh, they only did once their their entire life. So uh, stay tuned for that. But 
to your point about like this being your their home and that maybe being a little special, I completely agree with you. And I think evidence of that is this is 88, a whole year after the Touch of Grey single came out. So like the touch heads are on the scene. So now the dead shows, I would think, are bigger and crazier. And they played at an 8,000 capacity amphitheater. So not a big stadium, like not just trying to get everybody in. They were playing like a a more intimate show this this late in their career, which I, I think to your point, they want they still wanted these shows close to home to be special. So I completely agree. All right. Well, shall we dive on in? Yeah. They opened set one with Let the Good Times Roll with the first ever Let the Good Times Roll. It's a program debut for us on Working Man's Pod, not counting Dead and Company performances. And it's the <laughs> debut for the Grateful Dead. It's the debut of Let the Good Times Roll. What'd you think? Uh, it sounds polished, honestly. Um I think uh, Jerry and Bobby had played it a couple days earlier at Marin Vets at a Garcia Weir gig. I think, oh yeah, Brent mm. was on board for that too uh, with John Kahn on bass. But um, for the first time for the dead, I, I think that it it sounds well rehearsed, which in itself is almost <laughs> uh, maybe remarkable in 1980s. But, um, <laughs> you know... Yeah, they come out strong. Bobby is already blowing his throat out, singing it. Uh, Brent sounds real nice. Um, Jerry's into it. Uh, I can't fail, I think. It's a great opener. I, I didn't realize when we were picking this at first that this was the uh, the first time played that I noted it. I wouldn't have guessed, honestly. Yeah, even in the debut performance, Falsetto Bob is here <laughs> at <laughs> the end. Uh, this is one of my favorite openers, not necessarily because it's like the hottest, you know, or the most energetic, but it just feels like the right kind of song at a Grateful Dead show. It just like get in the groove and let the good times roll. That's what the Grateful Dead are all about. So it just feels very fitting. Um, 
when they open a show with it. And it's cool that we kind of randomly stumbled upon the first ever Let the Good Times Roll. From Let the Good Times Roll, they go into Feel Like a Stranger. This opening combo, Good Times Roll into Feel Like a Stranger. Uh, Since this was the first Good Time Roll, it's obviously the first time they rolled this combo out. And this combo, they would put together 19 times uh, through six years from 88 through 94. The opening of Stranger is a little clunky. So you can kind of tell they're trying to like roll into it for the first time. It wasn't as smooth as the beginning of Let the Good Times Roll. Uh, but once they get into Stranger, about like a minute and a half in, like Bobby did not blow his throat out on Good Times <laughs> Roll because he sounds he sounds so crisp in this song. He does. Um and it's not an especially long performance of this song, but uh, I think it's got it. It's got everything you're looking for. Um, you know, feel like strangers is sort of a tone setter. And between these two songs, you know, you've got soul and you've got just Bobby weird rock. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> cause I don't, this is, this is not a, a rock song, right? It's not rock and roll. I don't know what this is. Song yeah. Song but is, it's not but it's quite funk either. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah it's, yeah, I know what you mean. It's going to be a silky, silky, crazy, crazy night for sure Indeed. when they play this. Um, the drums get like a little off in the first verse. And then when they come back, like come back into sync full full up, it's like the drums and Phil and Brent all like lock in at the same time in like the first half of the song. And man, it it really gets into be good stuff. Typically, we turn to the masses to see what the masses think of certain songs in certain shows. The masses did not know much about this show. Um, <laughs> so the the numbers are a little down, which I think is a little unfair to this show uh, for some songs, including Feel Like a Stranger. It's number 133 on Heady Version. I feel like that's a little low, uh, but I'm not going to sit here and nitpick with the masses. They have made their statement. It was, the problem is that heady version is weighted toward official releases. We we could do a whole episode on what's yeah. called official release bias. Yes, but <laughs> we just gotta we gotta take the masses at their word. And uh, yeah, if this were officially released, um, which we'll talk about at the end, but I feel like maybe at some point in our lifetimes that's coming, just because of the encore and because of how Jerry and Bob sound. But so maybe that would change later on but today here and now it's the 133 stranger on heady version <laughs> um and it goes into the 163 row jimmy which again i think is too low for one reason and one reason only jerry's voice is locked in and i know this late in the dead's career it's like oh did jerry was it a good jerry night or a bad jerry night but man on April 30th, 88 was a good Jerry night. He gave a remarkable vocal rojimmy.
Absolutely. Um, I am a Road Jimmy fan. I think if anybody who heard my website URL earlier, um, you might have guessed. Um, and this I'll one just is sit back a, and let real you, good uh, one. Let you take I, I, take over. I, I, I don't think I'm going to wax too poetically on this one, but uh, I think this is a good, like, uh, kind of perfect example of an 80s Rojimi. It doesn't have any of the MIDI stuff that was yet to come, which is really the, like the next innovation for this song, uh, flute solos and such. But um, but it, it it clicks really well. They lock in for this swinging kind of outro really nicely. And as you say, Jerry sounds really great vocally on it. Um, I really enjoyed it and listened to it several times just today. It's not midi like you're talking about but there are i think it's brent there's like flourishes of like the like high distorted synth that like wash over you and that i think that's like them figuring out how to do that stuff that you're talking about is going to come later on in their career and it does give it like a it gives a heavy song kind of a more lighthearted feel which isn't bad like it's different but it's also pleasant and enjoyable that's a trick that like the best bands use is to write a heavy song and make it sound light make it pretty or even sound like fluff even though they're really talking about some serious business yeah and that that dichotomy works well here um and it works especially because jerry is just again he's absolutely crushing it on the mic from Row Jimmy, they go into Walk in Blues. It's another program debut for us at Working Man's Pod. It's a Sunhouse Mississippi Delta blues song that Robert Johnson adapted, and then the Grateful Dead covered that Robert Johnson version. I mean, it's enjoyable. I don't, I'm not like stuck enough in the 80s dead to be like sick of Little Red Rooster. And then like weirdly on this show, we've talked about like three of the 30 best ever CC writers on the show. So all my experiences <laughs> with that song have been very positive. So I'm not stuck enough to be like, oh, Jesus, the Bobby Blue slot, like, let's get it over with. But I would imagine that late 80s, this was like a good change up from the typical Bobby Blue song um, when this like this is like a different song in that slot. Is that true? Well, I'm down with it. So I've never really had a big problem with the Bobby Blues slot. I mean, there was some, you know, the time frame 10 years prior to this when Bobby was more of a beginner with the slide and things like that. And um, those were a little tougher, maybe. But at this point, I, I'm into it. Bobby's got his own style and he's he's he does it well. And I, I really enjoy a good walk in blues. Yeah. And I think the Brent solo at the three minute mark, like oh yeah, more than launches this into an an upper tier Bobby Blue slot song. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm into it too. And and I hope that it's like appreciated as much as we're appreciating it too. Another interesting new sh- new song to change things up. Hey Pocky Way, a Brent tune with a strong synth opening and some really really good high energy drumming (laughs) 
song is this is a favorite brent song for me um i i, I kind of i'm a big brent guy um so i will stand up for most any brent song but uh this one is it really brings outside of like his original writing and whatnot this really brings what i want to hear from brent which is you know i want to hear some organ i want to hear some soulful vocals i want to hear him just like lay into it and uh and it gets the band in a very a nice funky energy as well which is you know they don't have a lot of those songs uh, so uh i think it's uh I think it's just outstanding and this is a good version it is a good version uh it's the number 22 hey pocky way on heady version and it's a song they played 25 times from 1987 through 1990 so the masses are putting them in putting it in the bottom third but um eh. who cares i think that can only really come from a couple things and one of them is that most of them are fairly similar i think that's one of yeah, the things you're gonna find it's it's kind of like yeah i see what you're saying like it's not really a song that can go in many different directions it's a solid first set rock funk kind of new orleans piece it doesn't go deep doesn't go long uh, but it could be screwed up and uh, that's probably that, where the uh, the the next couple are in the list, I guess. Yeah, now that's a good point. I think you, what you said about this song getting like the the funky energy up, really, really comes through. Not so much with the funk, but just like the energy and the feeding off the crowd for the next two songs. So after Hey Pocky Way, they go into Ramble on Rose. So we go from you know, a blues cover to a Brent tune. And then Jerry takes us back into like, you know, the, the familiar old grateful dead standards and man, like he, I think is feeding off the crowd at the frost amphitheater and he is crushing it on the mic. I didn't take notes on this song. This happens about once every show that we do because the (laughs) song just hits you and you're enjoying it so much that you don't, want to like break your focus of it to take notes so i just sat back and let jerry serenade me but i was shocked at how much i enjoyed an 88 ramble on rose i mean ramble on rose is always good when jerry's in you know and jerry's Mm -hmm. really into it um and yeah i think i think you're right it you know obviously doesn't have the the funk the meters funk that hey pocky white does but it does have an energy level that you know just continues from walking blues rising into through hey pocky way and then you get ramble on rose which has kind of a slow start but it's like it's all coiled up energy that by the end is flying everywhere yeah bob's tone on his guitar was not my favorite but (laughs) like i couldn't it didn't really matter what anyone else was doing. Like Jerry was just hitting every note on the mic and it, I'm not, I really don't care about vocals in 
dead shows like it really never has been a factor for me that like either makes or breaks a show like i know when people talk about trucking they're like i want a one where bobby doesn't mess up and it's like that's never been what trucking's about trucking's about like the energy and the playful style and all that but i will say what jerry's doing on the mic for this show just made good playing like three times better I, I well said honestly and yeah if anybody's looking for a perfect version of trucking there's no g in the name <laughs> because it can't be perfect should be your first clue yeah <laughs> Speaking of not perfect, we're going to get into, I think, what's the the drumming's low point of the show. And that's the set one closer, Let It Grow. I should have read the entire set at the beginning, and that's my fault. So let the good times roll into Feels Like a Stranger, Row Jimmy, Walking Blues, Hey Pocky Way, Ramble on Rose. It's not title is into Let It Grow, but it really does kind of roll right into Let It Grow. And man, the beginning of this song has some of the most sneakery drumming I've ever heard. Um, after about four minutes, which is kind of a long time, the, the drummers really start to lock in. But yeah, that was the first thing I noticed about one of my favorite 80s dead songs. Uh, 80s Let It Grows, I think are just awesome with that like ending jam section, the rise and fall jam. But drumming aside, what did you think of the Let It Grow? Um, I, I want to first agree with you on, you know, since maybe some of the tempos, they weren't really dialed in at first, but, um, it does peak reasonably well. And yeah, eighties, nineties also let it grows are a really potent thing. And not just because I, it's when I first started seeing them, 
but they they really carry a strong energy and this one kind of gets there it's it's not going to make my top 10 list but it, it certainly was uh fun to listen to yeah i think what i've noticed about my favorite let it grows lets it grow is that there's like the two rise and fall jams and each time it just builds and builds with this one the middle like the first time they go into that is I think the peak of this song, like they really, really get into it on that first one. And like Mickey starts going bonkers on the cowbell. Brent like really gets going with the keys. And then the second one, like it, I just don't think it built up to those heights, which didn't make it bad. Like I still enjoyed it. It's still one of, if not my favorite, like rhythm section songs for dead music. But yeah, I, there was just like a little something missing from making this like a legendary let it grow, but it's still great. I'd like to to throw out this like completely nonsense speculation that um, is it the time of day? So Grateful Dead hmm. rock bands are nighttime objects, you know, nighttime entities. And here, this is an afternoon show. Everybody's chilling in the lawn. The sun is shining. Um, it is a lot earlier than your usual let it grow i wonder if that's an impact i don't know you could like if you look at the montego bay show or something you know it's, it doesn't really jive when grateful dead played in the morning hmm. uh, it's a little bit later but i have no evidence to back this theory up but no it's it's interesting and i actually think it's it's gonna apply to a song in set two now that you say that it it does click um that's a really interesting theory that maybe they couldn't like get all the way out there with the sun still up at you know 5 45 or 6 or whatever whatever time it was um yeah no that's that's a that's a good theory i'm gonna put my stamp of approval on that theory i think that's part of it right on um so set one i think is really good because of jerry's vocals and also really fun that we get the first let the good times roll and just said excellent ramble on rose any like high yeah. level thoughts on set one i i think it's a strong set i i the playing you know you've mentioned a couple things with the drumming um you know but otherwise the playing is pretty solid the song selection is really good jerry sounds great what's not to like what more could you want i mean you could be greedy but should you <laughs> No, you shouldn't. Um, and what more could you want is probably coming in this second set. So set two, Shakedown Street into Man Smart, Women Smarter, into Ship of Fools, and then playing in the band into Drums, into Space, into Going Down the Road, Feeling Bad, all along the Watchtower, into Black Peter, into Sugar Magnolia. So starting with the Shakedown Street, it's like prime dead funk late 80s shakedown and i really appreciated the i called it the drumming rebound like let it grow was hands down their worst song of the show on drums and shakedown is one of their best like they are they are solid and tight especially um for the first three minutes Thank you. 
Down set opener i'm all in like always uh unless they blow it but they didn't blow it um <laughs> it does feel i could use another five minutes on this shakedown um again you know maybe i'm being greedy um it, it feels like it kind of goes there but doesn't get there all the way for me okay it's not this is not that it's bad um it you know, feels right from the start, but uh, I just um, I don't know. It ends while right while I feel like I'm still in mid groove. They get it's a twelve and a half minute shakedown, um, and they start to get like more rocky and less funky around the ten and a half minute mark. So I think I know what you mean. Like they really, the energy really starts picking up. They really start to hit the gas pedal a little more, and then they're winding out of it. Um. You said you like a shakedown opener, so I got some stats for you. Ooh. They, pl- they played Shakedown Street 85 times in set two in in their tenure, but they opened set two with it 63 times, and 44 of those 63 set two openers were in the 1980s. So 1980s set two opener, yeah. 
you're going to get it's a good chance for some shakedown and uh so the number 106 shakedown on heady version that that one felt right to me yeah i think that's about right i mean it's not like it's meriwether 85 or anything so um yeah that that's probably right yeah we've we went a while not talking about shakedown on this show and then it was just on dave's picks 47 and now here and it it really makes me want to talk about 80s and 90s dead more because it's such a fun enjoyable song and then having been to some dead and co shows like knowing the vibe of shakedown street the place it makes you i think appreciate it a little more a little more too yeah i mean gave it that name for a reason right yeah you're right um and it it strikes me about that is you know that song didn't come till 10 12 years into their playing career and yet that's like that still is the name that was chosen for you know the venue at the lots so yeah no i i agree with you i like a shakedown set opener from shakedown a song that i'm i'm not as passionate about into man smart women smarter um jonathan we have a nickname for this song on this show we call it discount ico because um, oh. it's basically the same tune and we alex and i like ico better um but i will say this man smart women smarter had a really interesting tone on Bob's guitar. And it really made me pay attention and listen to the, the song. And I, I enjoyed what I was hearing. What about you? So, yeah, I go is like Jerry's tune uh, with this beat, but uh, this one's got Brent singing the, uh, his verse. I like Brent's verse so much in this. And uh, I think he does a, a great job of it. And that's what I live for. When this song comes on, if it's a Brent era show, I just dial in for that. And everything else is gravy, hopefully. <laughs> um, and I feel like that that's what you get here. Well, and you get an amazing Brent organ solo. So I think yes. he did both on the mic for you and then on the keys for everybody else. Just <laughs> he really he took that to a big place. Um, and I thought that that helped rally this song to a, a pretty good man, smart, women, smarter. So you can always rely on Brent to give you the soul. Oh yeah. From there, speaking of a little, a little soul into ship of fools where Jerry pours his soul out into the mic and his voice continues to be excellent. And, uh, this ship of fools was to me surprisingly upbeat and energetic. It didn't. So I guess I shouldn't have said speaking of soul, like this wasn't the most like, soulful you know thoughtful rendition of ship of fools this had a little energy like it it had a little bit of an upbeat kick and it it took the song to a different place not a bad place just a a different place yeah i mean ship of fools sometimes is uh a bit slower than we have here um but coming out out of shakedown coming out of man smart women smarter i mean how could it not be at (laughs) least somewhat up um, and I think Jerry's singing kind of, you know, stands up to that, uh, energy level and it's, it's really, it's a great version. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm throwing around the word great a lot, but it's a certainly a good version. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, no, I would, I would use the word great for this ship of fools. Um, 
this stands up with some good ones. And yeah, usually it's like, yeah, it's more slower and thoughtful. And that's what I like about it. And as I read the set list, I thought, oh, I see what Jerry's doing. Like we had two big upbeat tunes. And now he's going to kind of wind everybody back down, kind of reset to neutral before like playing and drums. And no, he kept it upbeat and energetic. I think what worked about his guitar solo was Bob and Brent picked up on the energy and they like really matched it from under the solo. And then Jerry added this like echo effect on his guitar and it really was trippy and took it to a, a cool spot. I was, I was all in on the ship of fools. <laughs> this was a poker table. I was, I was all in. It's pushing him right across. Yeah, man. a good one and i think you know the placement is i think they're often i want to say they're they're more often pre-drums than post-drums but in spite of being slower um you know we get a good slowdown later on we do but not here here we get a <laughs> fast quick up-tempo playing in the band um where the whole band is like driving above the speed limit like a la early Europe 72 where they're playing the song very fast, but everyone's on like Bob yeah. sounds great. The drumming is good. The guitar, like both Bob and Jerry, like working back and forth is spectacular. Um, and then after we get through the quick, like verse and chorus, Phil kind of just like guides us along on this pleasant float down the, the play in river. 
I like to float down the plain river. Um, this yeah, this one like this is one of those. It's a little like shakedown where I, I I've just gotten into it. I feel like there should be a few more minutes. It's under nine minutes, just under nine minutes before you know to, drops into drums. But it's uh, it does give you a lot of content in that short time. Um, the jam is good. It's just brief. Um, if I were listening blind, I would be looking for maybe more play in after drum space or something like that. So this was the song I was talking about in set two that really made me pause and think when you posed that time of day theory. I'm wondering yeah. because it's maybe at this time in the show, it's like sunset or, you know, twilight. It's not dark. They couldn't get all the way out there, right? With light still in the sky. They 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 couldn't get to the 10, 11 minute mark and get like way, way out in outer space. They do like, they get a little bit out there by the end. But yeah. they just kind of they like kind of almost get there and don't. But I, I'm really wondering when you said that about the time of day that if they couldn't get all the way out there because there was still some sun in the sky. Either that or Jerry needed a smoke. Um, they were just. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Like we get this jam going. It's going. You guys. OK. Look at the drummers. You got this. OK. I'll see ya. Mm. <laughs> They wander off. Yeah. And and let the drummers do their things on drums into space. It was like a dark and slinky beginning to drums in space. Um had I you blindfolded me and told me they were gonna go into like Karina or something, I would have totally <laughs> believed you. But they go into drums and then I I mean we don't need to analyze the 20 minutes of drums in space, but I will say I think about eight times out of ten I prefer the drums over the space segment but this time was not that i totally preferred the space here and we talked earlier about like the dichotomy with Ro jimmy and how you can have like an upbeat song with like very um sad lyrics here we had jerry doing like very pleasant melodic guitar licks while bob and brent were like still making ominous sounds and that dichotomy really really spoke to me yeah, I, I'm a fan of all of this stuff, but I didn't take notes breaking down the passages. So I appreciate you uh, talking about those elements of, you know, Jerry playing up in the high bit. But I I live for those moments where, you know, Phil starts pounding on his the side of his bass to make just the deepest, doomiest sounds. Um, that's yeah, that's some of my favorite stuff. And arguably, this is the most improv the band was doing in this era. So there's a little jam on playing in the band. And then, you know, if you look at it in the context of 1973, it's playing drums, space going down the road. So playing may only be nine minutes, but you tack on that drum space, you know, playing's 24 minutes. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah. And we weave songs in and out on our show too. And I had absolutely no intentions of weaving in a portion of space, but in your honor, since you talked about, <laughs> talked about it, let's listen to a little bit of that space right now.
Out of Drums in Space, a post-space song that I was kind of surprised by. And unfortunately, I don't have the stats for this one, how often they went into going down the road feeling bad out of space. But it was really, really cool. And they're not going down the road feeling bad. They are flying down the road feeling bad here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Again, tempos are not suffering uh, for whatever reasons that it it kind of it became a pretty in the 90s became not unusual in the post space but not necessarily always right out of space but just a quick scan on jerry bass and i see a fair number of them um going right back into in fact they did a a bunch on that spring tour that preceded this Mm. um well there you go yeah and a couple times in 80 in 87 so it was it was a burgeoning idea for the band. Um, obviously, this you know in the seventies it was a sandwich did not fade away. It was a very different kind of place, but I, I like it. I think it's just you know the band is trickled out on stage. They've gotten weird for a little bit, and Jerry's like, all right, let's play this very familiar pattern, picking pattern that I really dig. And uh, yeah, it 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 works for me. And you're right, this one's quick and it's it's good yeah it's a six minute going down the road feeling bad and then at about the five minute mark they like completely change from a like fast 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 and they slow it down and the song gets like longer and more dramatic and you can tell that they're like teeing up the next song in the last minute of going down the road feeling bad and they roll it into all along the watchtower uh, which is, I was not one of my favorite Dead covers until I saw it live with Dead and Company. Completely flipped the switch on. Like I was, I'm all in on the Dead's cover of All Along the Watchtower now. Uh, especially when Jerry does what he does here and just unleashes a like a flamethrower on your ears. Yeah, you know, and it's, I kind of like it here because it's a little less... I don't want to say expected, but you know, the uh like the wheel watchtower thing was not uncommon in the in the eighties, late eighties. Um, so I, I like this placement here out of going down the road and yeah, Bobby just gets to rip it up. Jerry yeah. usually picks a pretty strong uh, you know, distorted tone. He clicks on that SD one and just 
or the OD one rather SD. Yeah. Anyways, it's a distortion pedal that he, he, he was using in the, in the era. And, and, um, and yeah, it, like people don't think of Jerry playing with distortion, but here it is. Yeah. When, you know, obviously it happened like earlier in their primal dead career, but when he goes shredder, Jerry, like yes. he, I mean, he could, he could have gone that route and been, you know, a top 10 guitarist in just that realm um, with how talented he is. I agree it's with too you. too tasteful talked... to live in that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You talked about Bob getting to go all the way. I don't know what language he's singing in. I don't think it's English at parts, uh, but he is pouring his heart out into the mic and it's cool to hear Jerry give it right back to him in like equal, equal measure um, from the guitar. It's one of those things where, you know, Phil said this about Bobby singing victim of the, or the crime, but it's, you know, I, I, I don't know why he feels the need to do it, but I'll defend my grave is right to do so. <laughs> um, yeah. Bobby is just like, I, I can't, I can't even find the right word, but like just hollering into the mic and yeah, always pays off. I think. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound bad. I just don't know what he's saying. Um, <laughs> You know the yeah, words it, anyways. Right. Uh, the Dead debuted their cover of All Along the Watchtower uh, the year before in 1987. Yet, this is already the 26th time by my count that they were playing it. So I, it, I they got it figured out. Like they're, they're up and rolling with this song. And the Bob and Brent rhythm pairing uh, strikes me as excellent. Oh, absolutely. Um, Brent is... You know, Brent was often just just not regarded well enough uh, for the work that he put in, and this is another good showcase for it. Yeah, absolutely. A song that you were talking about how you wouldn't expect Watchtower from going down the road feeling bad, and a song that I wouldn't expect from those two right before it, Black Peter. And an interestingly like electric rocky Black Peter I tend in my mind to think of this as more of a slower acoustic song. And I know they didn't play it acoustic every time, but they definitely aren't going for that here. Bob has his same guitar tone as Watchtower for like the first minute, minute and a half. So it's like a rocky, dark intro to Black Peter. And then Jerry added some like stank on his guitar tone at the end. (laughs) And Brent piggybacked right off that with those like barks on the organ like where it just comes in for like a little like you know that he was like dropping in at the at just the perfect times what do you think organ is remarkably percussive instrument um but uh i i thought this was great very high weird energy i think this is where the you know the weird and this is where the show should be starting um (laughs) which Maybe they felt that way as well, uh, you know, not to spoil what's to come, but, you know, this is like, things are really clicking here, I think.
A black, I'm always in for a Black Peter. This one's a little different. I like it. That Yeah, you said it well. Maybe from your theory, what you're talking about, how this is the start of the show, maybe the sun had set. Like maybe it's set during Watchtower and it is now dark. And now Black Peter can be the, you know, the spiritual beginning of the show. Okay. One thing I would add to my comments about the end of it is that it's almost a little uh, cosmic Charlie-ish the way Jerry's playing that last bit on the come and see, you know, riffs, mm. just laying into it. It's uh, probably probably somebody's bugging out somewhere on the field that evening, going, oh. <laughs> they, they, oh, I thought they were gonna play it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe not. <laughs> There's always one guy. The, yeah, I was gonna say the odds are pretty high that yeah, maybe one one or two folks were absolutely having that thought <laughs> from black peter they don't go into cosmic charlie they go into the chalk set to closer sugar magnolia um i've been crediting jerry with kind of bringing the the rocker and the shredder energy to this show kind of for most of our conversation and that's not fair to bob bob is throwing some upbeat playing and even more energetic vocals out there for this set to closer Absolutely. I saw some comments. So, cause I, I read the comments, um, you know, just trying to get some of the, the firsthand notations on it, suggesting that Bobby was having guitar trouble and was pretty upset with his rig and cut the sunshine daydream short. It's not long, but I, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't read it because Bobby's yeah. definitely bringing a lot of energy as is everybody. I think it's really strong rocket set closer yeah and i've praised it the whole time so i might as well keep going but the vocal harmony right at the beginning of the sunshine daydream part is some of the best of the brent era that i've heard like obviously with donna in there it was on lockdown every time but it's it's really good with brent bob and jerry on on this day i mean brent could do it uh and here they're rested so I mean, I uh, I know they just played a few nights in Irvine, but they they've actually had like five nights off in between those, so they're they're relaxed more yeah. or less, and uh, and it's not even late, so that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, they sound good. They really do. It's a solid set too. The post space segment is really interesting in that it it kind of feels it's not songs that nor- you would normally think of pairing together. 
And yet they're songs that pair together and flow into each other and create this, this like energetic wave quite well. Um, and I was, I would like kind of did a double take the first time I looked at the whole set and I was like, interesting. And then once I heard it, I was like, man, that was really, really enjoyable. Really nice to stumble on a set list that you wouldn't write. That's a really, really There's... good way to put it. There is a undeniable, there are degrees of predictability in certain eras in particular. And yeah, shakedown opener. Okay. That's predictable. Yeah. But okay. This post space is, it's great. And it's throws you got all of these songs belong in post post drum space, but not together. Really <laughs> together. What? Uh, yeah. It's great. It's a lot of fun. I'm really, really glad that you used the word predictable because what we're about to talk about with the encore is the most, one of the most unpredictable segments of music that's going to come out. They, they go into a long break and come back out and they're like, you know, teasing a little stuff like Brent, Brent kind of sounded to me like he was going into Johnny B. Good, like the way that he was doing those little warm-up licks on the piano and if you were at the frost amphitheater and you're excited they're back out they just had sugar magnolia it's a saturday night it's saturday april 30th you know maybe we think we all know what's coming and then jerry starts playing an old familiar tune and the band goes into the only ever china rider encore and like the second what i appreciated listening to like the tape it's like the second jerry starts playing the entire crowd is just ecstatic and it brought a smile to my face listening to it 35 years later like just that jubilation of the most wonderful wonderfully unpredictable moment that the people in that crowd are going to have you know for their entire dead or maybe even like live music experience was just so heartwarming to me. Shine. 
So I'll reference, if you if you don't mind, the comments again. So uh, some of the people who were there, uh, one a couple of them commented that it was a long break. One guy said that they must have heard us because we were chanting for play a third set, play a third set. Mm. Um, I'm betting they didn't hear them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe they just got backstage and looked at the clock and said, oh, we got some time. Or maybe they felt like they had just, you know, missed something. Or maybe Bobby's guitar really was a problem and, you know, they decided to call mm. it. Although Sugar Mags is a closer, so I doubt that was the case. Yeah. Um, hmm. But, yeah, they come out and they play a China Rider. It's a short China Rider. I mean, it it's is. a hair under 10 minutes. And either of those songs could go longer. Uh, just ask Bobby. He could do it longer. Um, the, uh, but it's a lot of fun, and yeah, as an encore, it's as you say, you know, it's unpredictable. It's it's kind of a slice of magic. Um, yeah, what a what a wonderful way to wrap the show. Uh, oh yeah, they do play one more Saturday night, which is a normal way to wrap a show, right? Um, but uh, China Rider, uh, we'll take it. Yeah, I like the, what you said, slice of magic. I'm going to, I really want it to be the third theory that you brought up. I want it to be that Bob went backstage and he's like, man, that's such bullshit that like the equipment cut out and we were going to play Shicker Mags for another two or three minutes. And people, you know, Brent and Jerry are like, oh, you know, it, it happens. It's okay. And he's like, no, it's not okay. You know what? Th they deserve better. And they talked about it. And that's why it was a long break because they were discussing how to reward the fans for their loyalty. I'm I'm gonna choose to believe that one because that one warms my heart almost as much as like hearing the crowd roar at the start of China did. It's it's that either, either that or Bill Graham's back there. He's like, "You owe me twenty minutes." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, could be could be that too. <laughs> oh man, I liked your your quote. A slice of magic. The quote that I saw from Heady Version from the user Sundin was, quote, this version has miles of style. I really liked that, um, miles of style. The fact that it rhymes is excellent, but it's also true. Like, it's not the hottest played China rider, although the transition is pretty hot. But it, it almost does kind of feel like they're showing off. Like, yeah, we, we know what you want. We're giving it to you in an encore. And that, like, swagger kind of comes through on the playing. So I totally agreed with that comment. Yeah. yeah like, oh, we could play China Rider. Oh, we only have 15 minutes. That's all we got. Okay. 
We can we can do all this in fifteen yeah, minutes. No problem. problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And like you said, they they do actually go into one more Saturday night, and I was really surprised that they did another song. I I guess in my head I would have thought that okay, wow, we came out with that once in a lifetime encore, that energetic combo, and you get to go home and you get to go home happy and tell everybody about what you saw, but they they hop right out of rider into one more Saturday night and it it's a pretty good version. Got to end on a rocker. Um, yeah, but they, they had, they did though. They did. send them home. You know, you got to get with like the big rock and roll blowout finish. And uh, that's what Bobby wants to deliver. And, uh, and maybe, maybe he did feel he couldn't do it the way he wanted in sugar mag, but he did it here. Classic finish for a Saturday. Yeah. And kind of like the other um set two songs it's it's fast like it's it's not just a beat like the tempo is very very quick but jerry keeps right up i couldn't tell if jerry was keeping up with billy and mickey or billy and mickey were keeping up with jerry and bob <laughs> probably the latter right like bob, bob is go, bob go, usually go. does account so it's probably a bit of that you know uh which is impressive that yeah it's impressive count everybody was on it and they have rips yeah a a good end to a a magical encore what are your high level high level big picture thoughts on this 430 88 show i feel like the the band is playing well I don't feel like they spend a lot of time in any one place for whatever reason. Um, you know, if you, if you go through the tracking and try to read off the numbers, um, shakedown street is the longest tune at 12 and a half minutes. And that's not a crazy time. I know I complained about it earlier. It's not a crazy duration for a shakedown street, but it really just kind of shows that they were not settling down on any one thing. They delivered everything well, nothing to complain about, but um, they were not uh, resting on their laurels at any point in the show. <laughs> no, my thoughts on the show would be that if, for whatever reason, if you wanted to make like a concerted effort to go to 1988, you're like, maybe, maybe you were born in 1988. You're like, you know, I'd love to listen to some Grateful Dead from the year I was born, for example. This would be a great entry point into uh, the Grateful Dead in 1988. It's crisp and fast. They, unfortunately, for some songs, they don't spend too long in one spot. And then you just get like the the China Rider encore to be the icing on the cake. And you can enjoy that too. If you want to have like an, I don't want to say overview, but like a good, as you said, launch pad, this is, this is that I think it really does capture who they are and what they do reasonably well at this time. One game that we play on this show that you did not get to play with us last time you were with us. Cause we did a special draft episode. So you were, picking songs left and right but a game that we typically play on this show is that if you were constructing an imaginary playlist and you could only take one song from this show from 4:30:88 to add on doesn't have to be the best song doesn't even have to be your favorite song from the show but the song that you think that you need that encapsulates the show that's going to go on your playlist 
from 43088. What song would you take and why would it be the China Rider Encore? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's space. No. Um Hey, actually, I, you are, I you're subbing in for Alex's playlist and neither of us have a drum space on your playlist. So if you were so moved by the drum space, that wouldn't be foul. Like you would be allowed to do that. I think it's the Black Peter. Uh, wow, because I really okay. like that high aggro energy in the peak. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's real nice. And so I would pick that. I don't have a China writer yet. And I it's... I really, really want to take the China Rider Encore. Here, here's the thing. I'm gonna stick to it. I'm gonna take the China Rider Encore. And about 95% of that decision is because it's the Encore and that like special moment of the crowd at the beginning. If it wasn't an Encore, like hedging here, but if it wasn't an Encore. I really think I would take the ramble on Rose from set one. That was really, really good. And I was torn between that or ship of fools, but Jerry's voice just really took that song to another level. And I'm going to stick with the China rider. I'm sticking with it, but were it not an encore, I think the ramble on Rose would have been my pick. Well, Jonathan, anything else before we on this show or, or 88 in general, before we, bid them good night there is a um brent show solo show uh, a siva benefit in 1988 that is escaping me date wise um that i think is an alternate universe kind of approach to understanding 1988 because it is brent playing piano solo singing things like louis louis and then a couple uh ballads uh, like gentlemen start your engines and things like that that is one of my favorite tapes of brent midland or 1688 he says i feel naked up here without the rest of the band and uh it's a absolutely uh amazing show that i think everybody should probably hear for 1688 i'm gonna post that link in the show notes as well uh if you like jonathan are a big enough brent had to go check out a solo show please do and good recommendation and above all thank you for joining us on this our first foray into 1988 it's a solid show and special moment there's also the great dead tv video that was filmed this weekend uh out there on youtube that folks should check out yes Um, and you emailed that to me and i meant to mention that up at the beginning (laughs) Um, so I'm going to post that video as well, because that was a, it was about 14, 15 minutes, I think. Uh, and that was really entertaining too. Yeah. It's, it's a real cool look at just the scene at the moment, as well as the place where the show was. So yeah, really, really cool stuff. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, man. You are welcome back anytime. Hopefully it's not a year and a half in between, in between stops. Uh, and with that, we will bid you good night. Good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night,
got it.